0: hello and welcome to walking and talking a podcast by the line in this four-part series we take you on a journey along the lines route visiting greenwich peninsula the royal docks cody dock and queen elizabeth olympic park in these conversations, you'll be joined by artists, creatives, and members of the local community, who will discuss themes and ideas that relate to the line and the areas that it connects. Whether you're on the route or somewhere else in the world, we hope you enjoy discovering more about the line and its context.
1: We are in London, and um, we can hear Many things in the background, aeroplanes, trucks, I can hear seagulls now. And we're on the Greenwich Peninsula, just next to the O2. And we're just looking across at Alex Chinnick's sculpture, um, which is called Bullet from a Shooting Star, which basically, from a distance, looks like an upturned electricity pilot. My name is Ivan Harbour, I'm an architect, I'm a senior partner at RSHP, and I am also a trustee of the line and I'm here with Rana Bagan, who is a wonderful artist and we're going to be walking around the Greenwich Peninsula talking about stuff, art, colour. I think colours should be the big theme today. Rana's got a beautiful, today? a rather beautiful <laughs> coloured hat. Uh, the same colour as my socks. Yeah,
0: we're colour coordinated. Um, Yes, I'm, I'm Rana Begum and I have a work called Catching Colour on the line, which I'm really excited about and it's great to see it out and kind of living in the environment and I'm excited about today's uh, podcast. Yeah, so what, what makes you kind of, um, what makes you want to work with colour and, and also colour with architecture? That's kind of usually architects I feel run away from colour
1: architecture is uh it's a interesting occupation because you're you're doing stuff that you're designing for sort of to last at least 60 or plus years and actually you hope things don't fall down yeah. after that but and so actually i think architects tend to be extremely conservative on that basis because the risk of you know being out there and sort of being overly expressive is a, a sort of you know it requires a bit of confidence yeah We use it, and you can see on the O2 here, we have these pylons that hold the whole tent up. Uh, It is a tent, it used to be called the Millennium Dome. I'm told I'm not allowed to call it the Millennium Dome any longer, but it was built for the Millennium as an event space. Those pylons are bright yellow. The tent is white. And for us, it's a way of expressing the process behind the architecture. So what you see, what is yellow, Is structure. Now you also see, you can see on the tent, there's also little yellow blobs. Those are the structural tensioners that hold the main cable lines together. So it's a sort of secondary structure. So the yellow is being used to code. So anything yellow is to do with this sort of primary and secondary structure.
0: And actually that's a really lovely connection with Alex's piece you know because that's also kind of celebrating engineering we were just talking about how from a distance to see a pylon upside down can be quite intimidating quite scary and you kind of think do you want to get close but as you get closer the experience of it shifts because it's revealing itself it's revealing how it's held up upside down.
1: I think that's a you know it's a common thing across art and architecture is that you yeah. can it can be read at different scales and the best of both yeah. disciplines is, is something that, where you, learn, you, you continually learn more about yeah. the work the closer you get to it. We're looking now towards Canary Wharf and, you know, that was quite an extraordinary endeavour. And, it, you know, whatever one says about Canary Wharf, it certainly changed the rest of London. If it had issues, I think it was it was very monofunctional. It was just about office space. But now they are developing residential, and in fact, a lot of the newer buildings you see that there's a circular, um, almost a cylindrical-looking um, tower there. That's a residential tower, for example. But
0: what does it? I mean, what does it do to a city when it becomes, you know, when you develop an area like that and it only has kind of one usage? What does it do to a city?
1: You know, cities need to be multifaceted. You know, monofunctional parts of cities really don't work. You know, I think Canary Wharf learnt that. But I certainly, I think it's a lot better now than it was, you know, 20 years ago.
0: And art is a way of driving that change.
1: I think it's it's the great thing that an art can do in that in public spaces to bring the human scale yeah to the public space and and you know I do think we all you know artists architects alike we have to remember our uh, we're doing this all for people it's the people scale is so important and i you know personally have no issue with you know big buildings providing they create a great public realm with, which has people scale at the level that people are interacting with them not necessarily working in them but passing by them So I think the most successful buildings create the space to allow, as you say, art to help contribute to that or do it in their own right.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you and I dislike it when, uh, as an artist, when you get approached as a, you know, space is already developed and you're like, Hugo, we've got, you know, these locations, can you respond to it? And you think, well, actually, you know, why couldn't we get involved in conversations a lot sooner and i think for me having collaborated with musicians fashion designers and architects i i feel it's such an enriching experience and you know you all get something out of it and actually it benefits you know those kind of spaces it requires a multifaceted approach and i feel like it's always missed those kind of opportunities and It kind of brings me to the line and what the line is trying to do. I love how the line takes you on a journey and allows you to discover areas.
1: I think, you know, it's the fact that the works are starting to create a sort of virtual space. As I say, virtual in that it's clearly a connected space, being the line, where art is really pioneering it post its industrial past and actually becoming something that inform or will or should inform things to come so the architects is definitely following in this space and i think you know we know that a lot of the um, de- developers looking at projects there which are inevitably going to happen that they're looking at that the line as an asset
0: i guess it's actually kind of informing the future development yeah. and future change
1: That's right, and yeah.
0: that's and that's where it's really exciting because it's actually engaging not only the developers, the architects but also the community that's coming and that's really interesting as an artist. We were talking about this earlier how we kind of like challenges or you know restrictions and what that can do and um, you know the project that I've done for the line which is Catching Colour it was definitely a challenge. So the work on City Island consists of powder-coated kind of uh, mesh forms that have been formed by hand. And uh, these kind of forms are kind of floating or hovering above the pathway. And so I wanted the structure to be something that was kind of almost invisible. And, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of pushback. And I love that because it really allows you to kind of think about the material you're using and what the limits of those materials you're using. But having gone through those challenges, I realise how much I can push the work.
1: You know, I, I think, you know, constraints and compromise is, and I, it's, it's lovely to hear actually from the art side that that's important too, because certainly as architects, our whole projects are usually a whole series of compromises and constraints, but they don't look like it.
0: Yeah, well, it's not. <laughs> and that's not.
1: And I think it's important, and it's also, I think it's also more creative that you respond when you're working with your team and all the, the different experts that you know. You come to to produce something together, and everyone's everyone has an impact. So, Rana, whenever we talk about colour with our clients, you know the push always is there are a lot of people trying to make decisions and you know the end is always a sort of slightly dull um, sort of democratic choice of grey <laughs> or white perhaps or silver I mean, how do you manage it how do you get away with it?
0: Well I think you know actually I started looking at colour um, it was in my second year of MA and I come from a culture that is I feel is quite vibrant we're quite passionate and quite expressive people so I come from Bangladesh so I grew up with a lot of bright colored (laughs) clothes you know food that is very flavorsome and spicy so but I wasn't very confident in using color I actually was really nervous and kind of feared almost um, the idea of using color in my work and something that really required for me to kind of focus solely on so I did that in my second year of MA. It wasn't a theoretical approach it was a much more practical approach to um, understanding color and I used a material that I found readily available and that was adhesive tape and that was great that really gave me confidence to experiment and make mistakes and try out things so I think I spent about probably three four years just looking at colour literally on its own and seeing how one colour reacts to the other. Now it's like explosion of colour, actually now I'm trying to calm colour down, so <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> going the opposite way. Of course
1: everything, unless yeah. unless the lights are out, everything has yeah. colour, and there's even colour yeah. with the lights out. Exactly. I think we you know, maybe should caveat the com- conversation about colouring Saying so we're talking about colour which has a level of impact, yeah. it's impactful colour. I mean, you know, people often will ask, so how do you design design a building? And I'll say, I haven't got a clue. But actually, a lot of it, it is instinct. There is a lot of instinct there. And yes, you're accumulating knowledge over time, but sometimes I think I was better at it 40 years ago when I knew less.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know, I do. um, I like... I do look back and I think, God, it's so nice, <laughs> you know, being innocent and, you know, naive in a way. And actually you can make mistakes. Now with age, actually you cannot make mistakes. You know, you are held accountable. And actually, especially with, you know, what's going on currently with the climate crisis, you know, do you feel like, you know,
1: yeah. you, there, you know, certainly... We've been battling for this for many years. And I suppose the really good thing now is people are beginning to take it seriously. It is affecting the way we work. And that's for, and for the good as well. I think what you'll see, be seeing in the future is far more you know, adaptive reuse of existing structures. We won't be putting structures down in the way we have done in the past. We may build on them, expand them. And they will be done very inventively, and that will change architecture. You know, we did the Welsh Senate back in the late 90s, early noughties, and that was the first building we did where they measured embodied carbon through the process, including construction. And so they were, you know, 20 years ahead of their time. So we've um, just passed a, a slice of reality by Richard Wilson. I understand it was his studio for a year or so when we were finishing the uh, Millennium Dome. We've been talking about the future and the environment, whether there will be a future for us, and you know what role we have as architects, as artists in that future. And I, certainly, statistically, the construction industry is responsible for a, you know, an enormous percentage of carbon dioxide produced in the world. Some say up to 50%, which is quite scary. Also, the production of concrete in the world apparently is is it would be the third most polluting country after China so the US China then concrete so the scale is just phenomenal you almost can't imagine it but you know I think the only way we have a chance of getting anywhere is that we all do our bit and I think that you know we have artists and architects we you know because we lead the way in a sense we are creating environments that people will use people will be using into the future That those environments that we create need to clearly be representative of our time and our time the most dominant feature of our time is the concern or should be the concern about the climate now one could say that architecture could never ever possibly be regarded as climate neutral. But we can do what we can using materials, technology, we can do what we can in terms of social sustainability, which is a massive part of, of this, which often isn't talked about, to create places that are regenerative rather than just being neutral, and places that point the way to how we could lead our lives if we all, if for us the planet was number one.
0: When I think about the future and in terms of public art, we definitely, I know as artists, feel responsible and want to see change and want to make change. And I think it's definitely possible when you're in a position where you can collaborate for change to happen. Because if you start isolating yourself and you're not engaging, then I think it's a problem. But what I've been seeing more and more, which is really positive, is that conversations between different disciplines are happening. You know, Whether it's between architects and engineers or writers or musicians or artists or designers. You know, I feel it's positive. I feel like it's definitely something that we all want to kind of see happening.
1: You've been listening to a podcast from The Line. This episode was produced by Reduced Listening with thanks to Bloomberg Philanthropies.
0: Thanks for listening to Walking and Talking. You can find out more about The Line on our website, www.the-line.org and by following us on social media under the handle at line London.